Welcome back to Faith by Hearing podcast. We look forward to bringing you a great conversation with missionary Bobby Bonner as he shares some of the stories that God allowed him to experience there in Africa and the great work that they were able to accomplish and also some life-changing truths along the way. So you're, you're teaching. What takes you from teaching to Zambia? Well, our, our church was a very missions-minded church. Uh, our pastor had a missionary in every Wednesday night. Wow. Every Wednesday night. Wow. A lot of people don't know about our church up in New York. I mean, up in Yankee land. Okay. It was founded 55 years ago. So in 55 years, our church has sent out 186 families, trained them, and sent them out of one local church. Wow. So we have our own Bible school. We have our own discipleship. We have our own Christian school. Just independent local, you know, Baptist church. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. Hmm. And uh, so I tell people I'm from there. They go, I never heard of that church. I said, well, (laughs) I'll just tell you what they've been doing, you know, all these years. And uh, so on a Wednesday night, a missionary came to our church and he mentioned a need for missionaries to be in Africa. This was 1986. And as soon as he said Africa, boom, I'm on my knees, 83. Lord, I'll even go to Africa. Mm. And God spoke to my heart and said, did you really mean it? So I went forward on the left side and I'm praying, saying, Lord, if you really want me there, I'll go. Well, I was also part of a bus ministry where I would go and pick up inner city kids and bring them out on church on Sunday and minister <clears throat> to them. So my bus pastor went down the right side. Well, after the service, he stood up and said, God has called me to Africa. And I'm still praying on the other side. <laughs> so I hear him. I look up. I go, Wow. I must have heard the Holy Spirit talking to Dennis. (laughs) So, because I knew if I said something, you got to go, right? So I'm thinking, I went back and said, him, but boy, I was miserable, man, because I knew I told God I'd go. And so I told Becky a few days later, and, you know, my wife, and she kind of, her eyes got real big, you know. And so, whatever, I'll follow you wherever. And uh, I went in to talk to my pastor again, and, we had just started a, a sports program. Mm. So back in those days, I was very well known in Rochester. So the, the name of the organi- our sports program was the Bobby Bonner Summer Sports League. Mm. So we had coach pitch, t-ball, softball, flag football, soccer. You know, we, it was and thousands of kids would come on the weekend to these leagues that we had and we'd preach the gospel to them. Mm. And so now I'm leaving. He said, no, you can't leave. We just started this. And I said, look, if I don't go, I, b- I believe I'm going to die. Hmm. I believe God will kill me if I don't go. He said, where are you going to go? I said, I got no idea. I said, Africa's a big place. I said, the only missionary I know of, you know, with David Livingston. I said, maybe I'll follow in his footsteps. So I looked up on Africa and I said, wow, Livingston died in what is now Zambia. I'll go there. <laughs> so, you know, again, I, I tell this story and everybody kind of like, I can't believe this, you know, and I, I can't either. Mm. It was just, 
as God was leading, we were walking and we were walking and God opened some doors, he closed some doors. He opened some doors, he closed some doors. But you got to be moving. Right. We walk yeah. by faith yeah, and not by sight. And so you got to move and walk in the Word of God. You, um, you talk a lot in preaching and giving your testimony about um, what you call worshiping the Lord. And when you worship the Lord correctly, he leads you, he gives you, and then I've heard you say over and over, he gives you a work. Yes. So you're in the word, you worship the Lord correctly, he gives you a work. Yes. And the work, it's not so much a location. No. It's just following the Lord. Right. So explain, maybe explain a little bit of that. Like what brought you to that understanding and and maybe even offer to, to people who might be listening to the podcast, like here's the work. Here's the worship. Here's the word. It all be, it all begins with a revelation that comes from God, and that's His word. Mm-hmm. You know, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word was made flesh, and God gave us His word. You know, the Book of Psalms says, "Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path." So I should be in the word. I should allow it to be a part of that. So it's so Hebrews eleven really changed my life when I began to. You know, like John 4 says, the Father is looking for someone who's going to worship Him in spirit and truth. Mm -hmm. So I looked that word up, worship, because we have a funny concept of that today. We think worship is, let me raise my hand and sway back and forth, and let's have a praise band, and oh, I'm worshiping God. That's praising God, okay? That's not what we call biblical worship. Again, we got to go back to the Word. Let's get our definitions from Scripture, right? Not from how we feel. You know, I learned that a long time ago. I, I read in the Old Testament where a fellow by the name of Isaac got real blind, you know, and he had two <laughs> sons, Jacob and Esau. And he told Esau, "You're my firstborn. Go kill me some good venison. I love. Bring it to me." And of course, the wife heard all about it and dressed up Jacob and in Esau's clothes and put those hairs of the animals on his arm because Esau was hairy. And so Jacob walks into the tent. You read the story, right? And Isaac is blind. He goes, who is it? He goes, it's Esau, thy firstborn, but it's not Esau, it's Jacob. Uh And you miss something. There's a verse there and he goes, "Ah, the words are Jacob. Hmm. That's what Isaac said. So he says, come near. And so he began to (sighs) smell him because he had his clothes on. He smelled like Esau. He touched his arms. They were hairy. He says, wow, the words are Jacob. So he based his blessing on his feelings wow. and not on the word. So a lot of us get in trouble in our Christianity. What a thought. Because we base our everything on how we feel. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Sometimes I don't feel good. Yeah. <laughs> But I still know I'm saved. Right. I still know God's there. God's, you know, because of His Word. So it starts with the Word. That's got to be. And then we go to biblical worship. Hebrews 11. The first guy in Hebrews 11 is Abel. He said, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. God testifying of His gifts, you know. So so he said, well, it doesn't say worship. (laughs) The first time the word worship appears in Genesis 22, where God tells Abraham, to take his son whom he loves mm-hmm. and go and worship me. Now, Abraham wasn't going to the top of the mountain to raise his hand and sway back and forth and <laughs> sing praises to God. He was going to the top of that mountain to give what he loved to God because he obeyed God. He put God first in his life. Right. 
So the word worship appears for the first time. The word love appears for the first time. So what is worship? It's giving to God what you love. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Our churches are filled with people that worship <clears throat> anything and everything and mostly themselves other than God. Right. Yeah. In your book, you talk about how that, that's, that's the way you lived. You lived for this self-gratification. Absolutely. And it left you with anxiety and stress and empty and drugs and alcohol and, you know, sexual pleasure and everything else that you tried to fill that void with. And it was all empty. It was all empty. I I heard a message years ago from a guy who said that in everybody's heart, there's this Jesus hole. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've heard him. Yeah. heard it where we try to fill it with drugs or sex or whatever. Right, yeah. But it, it won't satisfy. Yeah. But Jesus, you fill your heart with that. Mm-hmm. Satisfaction, peace, hope. It all makes sense and comes together. So back to Hebrews, you know, you're you have you're in the word, you worship, you're walking, because the next guy's Enoch, Enoch walked with God. But what does that mean? That's so simple. Obedience. Mm-hmm. We're going in the same direction. We're not going, you know, well, I'll go over here and God's going, no, we're going in the same direction. So mm-hmm. I'm obeying. And then the next guy is Noah. Noah prepared an ark. That's work. Mm-hmm. Now, if we know anything about the Bible, it had never rained before. Mm-hmm. Noah was not a boat builder. Noah was not a zookeeper. God brought the animals to him. God closed the door for him. It was a work of God and not a work for God. Yeah. You know, when the Africans would come to me there, you know, at the very beginning when I was there, they would say, oh, I just want to work for God. I just want to work for God. I said, no, you don't. Mm. I said, because you wear yourself out and you'll be tired and you want to do a work of God. Mm. Work of God. Well, well, Bonder, how do I find that? In the Word, in your worship, yeah. in your walk, then He will give you work to do. Yeah. And it's all around us. If you're a member of a local church, there's something to do. Yeah. When I when I retired from baseball, I went in my pastor's office and I said, I'm here. What can I do? I just want to serve Jesus. Mm-hmm. I said, What's the greatest need in this ministry right now? Right now, what's the great I, I just want to get my hands wet? He goes, The bus ministry at that time. I go, I'm not a mechanic. I had no idea what a bus <laughs> ministry was. I said, I'm not a mechanic. I can't work on it. I'm not a diesel mechanic. He goes, I don't know. He laughed. He, he said, I'm not talking about that. He said, We go pick up kids. I go, You go pick up kids. He goes, yeah, we go pick them up and we bring them in and you go visit them and you get in their homes. You tell them about Jesus. I said, okay, what do I do? Well, go get your license, you know. So I went and got my bus license. Next thing I knew, they gave me inner city Rochester. Kids of crackheads, Mm. prostitutes, the unlovable. And I'm picking up my bus is, you know, a 66-seater bus, but I'm running 120. I mean, I'm picking up kids. Sometimes I got to go in there and st- almost step over the parents because they're drunk, you know, mm. to dress the kids and get them on the bus and take them out and teach them about Jesus, man. Yeah. You know, so I learned what charity was all about there. True charity is, look, I give to you and I don't expect anything back. Yeah. You know, we're, we live in a society today. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You know, Africa, a little different. You know, I lo- finally learned what Paul said when he said, the more I'm spent, the less I'm loved. Hmm. 
And if you don't understand that, you can get burnt out in the ministry because you're doing a work for him instead of work of him because mm. he gave me the strength. I mean, he, I don't know anything about being a missionary. I, I'm not a very good mechanic, and yet I was put in situations. I remember we got our first brand new truck, you know, and we're driving, and all of a sudden it's missing and it dies. And I pull it into this gas station. This mechanic runs out, and he goes, "Wow, I've never seen a truck like this." You know, it's from America. And I'm looking for. It. Let me go get my tools, and I'm going, "Oh no, man, he's going to take this thing apart." And I don't know anything, and. I look up, I of course have the hood popped and I look up at the front and I see a fuel pump relay. So I take out my little MacGyver knife and unscrew that and I pull it out. It's a rat's nest and a rat had chewed through that line. Wow. So when he came back with all his tools, I said, you got any solder and, uh, you know, black tape? Like, yeah. yeah. So fixed it and boom, we were gone. I would have never guessed. I'm not a mechanic. Yeah. But it's just how God would lead you and show you what to do. That's incredible. Yeah. So the work for you takes you to Zambia. Yeah. You get there, and little do you know, waiting for you, black mambas, elephants, crocodiles, lions, witch doctors, death owls, and so much more. And in, in and through all of that, the Lord sustains you, the Lord strengthens you. The Lord empowers you. T tell a little bit about some of your some of your most cherished memories in Africa. I have so many of them, but I think the very very first time was my most cherished. Uh, one of the school teachers at our mission is a government school that we were all the buildings were given to us. There was still a little remnant of the school teachers and some of the students before we started re rehabilitation of the school. So his name was Goodwin Kapalanga. He was one of the school teachers. So Goodwin was from an area way out near Angola, about 500 miles away, dirt road, 500 miles, deep in the bush. Well, when he was a young boy, he was chosen from his family to go live with the uncle in Lusaka. Hmm. So he didn't see his family for almost 30 years, his mom, dad, and everybody. So he went and lived with his uncle, and he was educated, got a really good education, became a senior high school school teacher. And well, he got saved at our mission. So got discipled. And so he came to me one day and he said, Babona, will you go with me? I said, where? He said, to my village. And I said, well, where's your village? Well, he told me, I went. And so he told me this story of living with his uncle. And he said, as far as I know, my family has never heard the name of Jesus. Wow. Will you go with me? I have such a burden for them. So I had a builder. I think I told you the builder yeah. that was building our complex. His name was Jim Minkoff. And Jim wanted a break. So we decided to, we're going to go to this village. So remember, there's no towns for 500 miles. There's no fuel stations. So we take a diesel and we put two 50-gallon diesel things in the back of the truck and we take a tent and load up with food because we don't know what, you know, and Goodwin's family, his wife, his two little kids. I mean, we just got them piled up and mm. boom, we're heading. So we're driving, driving, driving. And of course, as far as you're going west, the road gets more narrow, more narrow, more narrow, dirt road and potholes. And so we finally get to this area and, and uh, he said, I think the village is this way. So we pull down this trail, you know, maybe about 10 inches wide, you know, and we're driving through the jungle for a little while and 
all of a sudden now the sun's gone going down. It's about six o'clock, six thirty in the evening, and so we. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's no signs in Africa. There's no roadside. You don't know where you are. I don't have a GPS. You know. And uh, Goodwin, we stopped the vehicle because we can't get the truck any further. And he goes, let me let me go see if I can find a village. So we're waiting. We waited probably about an hour. Mm. And all of a sudden we hear this. <laughs> There's about 20, 30 people. And they're running toward our vehicle. Well, you know, I have the lights on. So I'm seeing these people, you know, because I hear the noise. So I click the lights. And I'm, they got their hands in the air. <laughs> You know, they're running. I'm thinking, oh, man, circle the wagon, son. Comanches are coming. You know, and I didn't know. But that that was actually his village. He didn't really know it, but he walked in. And he saw his father, mother, wow. his relatives, his cousins. So they told him we were here. So they were all coming out to greet us. You know, they were so happy. So when you get happy over there, it's, you know, so, you know it's not a circle your wagons moment. So anyway, so we, they, you know, we unload everything. We take it. They give us a little hut, Jim and I, a little hut. And it's got to be about maybe 8 30, 9 o'clock at night, you know. And I mean, it's that's why they call it the dark continent because if the moon's not out, man, it's dark. Mm. But, you know, we got our full flashlights. And so we're getting our sleeping bags and we're laying them on the mud floor there. And all of a sudden, there's a little knock at the hut. And Goodwin comes in. He goes, My family's ready for you. And I go, ready for me. And I'm thinking, yeah, they got the fire going really big. And I'm going, fire, middle of the jungle. 20, 30 years ago, they were eating people like me. <laughs> so I have a great imagination. So I'm thinking there's a big black pot. And we're, we're the main course. I mean, I, you know, for just a second. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to trust God. So I grab my Bible and I grab my concordance and a flashlight. And Jim comes with me. And we set up by the fire. Well, he has... 25 or 30 of his family members just sitting there where the fire's going on. And I look at Goodwin. He's going to interpret because he, he speaks a language called Lunda. So, and they don't speak any English. Mm. And so he's interpreting for me. And, and I look at Goodwin. What do they know? And they go, that. So I started in the beginning. God created the heaven and the earth. And, and I said, who's God? to Goodwin's dad, and he said something in Lunda, and Goodwin's was quiet. And I said, what did he say? He said, you don't want to hear it. I said, what do you mean? No, no, tell me what he said. He said something. He said, he thinks you're a fool. Mm. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? Because you asked him who God was. And I said, well, what did he say? He said, he said, Paul, look up at the sky. <laughs> He said, "Look at the look at the stars. Look at the look at the sun and the day. Look at the streams and the animals." He said, "God created that." Mm. I said, "Who told him?" He said, "No one told me. Just look around." Wow. And then I read the Bible in Psalm 19, where it says, "The heavens declare the glory of God." That there's not a language on this earth mm -hmm. where that voice is not heard. Yeah. See, if you hear it then all of a sudden, God becomes obligated to reveal truth to you. See, the whole saying, you know, you can lead a horse to the water, but you can't make him drink. Yeah. Well, you can lead someone to truth, but you can't make them think. You know, mm -hmm. you got to want it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek me, knock, ask, you know. And uh, when someone is inquisitive and wants to know God, God, I believe, becomes obligated. To mm -hmm. show you. So yeah. here we are. We're showing him the truth. So I asked his dad, I said, is, is there 
do you have uh, anything in your culture that's sinful? And the old man said he didn't understand that word. The word sin is not in their vocabulary. Hmm. But the word taboo is or forbidden. That's in there. So I said, okay, is there anything forbidden? And he said, you're not supposed to take another man's wife sexually. Hmm. So I said, who told you that? He said, we've been sitting around the fires forever telling our people, you don't take another man's wife. Don't take another man's wife. So if you know anything about the Bible, there was a man by the name of Abraham Mm -hmm. who was traveling with Sarah. And he told this king that Sarah's my sister. So the king took her, was getting ready to marry her, have sex with her, and God warned this king. Mm-hmm. Right? That was before the Ten Commandments was ever given to Moses. It was the law of conscience. See, when Adam ate of that fruit, now not only you have creation speaking, you got a conscience that's speaking. Mm. What's good and what's evil. And if you follow that good, it'll lead you to what's true, and that's God. Yeah. And so it was so cool to see that. So at the end of about an hour and a half, I said, how many of you want to go and get your charms, throw them in this fire, and trust in the Jesus Christ? Because he raised from the dead. I told them the gospel. And uh, they went in their huts. They brought their stuff out. They threw it in the fire. And they were all on their knees. And I said, good one, lead your family to Christ. So he led them to Christ. And uh, first thing he did, he's taught them how to sing a song in their language to Jesus. And so I'm trying to sing in tongues, you know. I'm trying, you know I'm trying to, so as we're singing, I look off to my right and I see about 25 sets of eyeballs in the bush over here mm-hmm. from a distance. So I grabbed Google and I said, who are these people? Well, they heard us singing from across the river. So they got their canoes and they came across as a village I said, what are you singing about? Hmm. I said, sit down, let me tell you. I said, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. After about an hour and a half, all those people are calling on Jesus Christ to save their soul. So now we've got about 50 or 60 people singing to Jesus that just got saved. So then it's about 1 o'clock in the morning by that time. So then all of a sudden I look off to my left, there's 30 sets of eyeballs over here. I said, Goodwin, who are they? He called them over by the fire. They heard us singing from the next village about a mile away. They got the whole village up. They didn't know what was happening because they, they were singing these songs to Jesus that they'd never heard. So they came over. They said, what are you singing about? And I said, let me tell you, in the beginning, God created the heaven wow. and the earth. Who said you can't preach the same message three <laughs> times in a row? Okay, because it's God's message. <laughs> you know, right. and the power of God came down. Spirit of God came down. The conviction came down. Well, all of a sudden, you know, they, they said, well, okay, it's time for you to, to go to sleep. So I slept maybe till the sun came up. And then there was a knock at the door. And I said, everybody's ready. I go, what do you mean everybody's ready? I said, everybody just stayed by the campfire. They're ready. They want to hear God's book because I kept calling it God's book. And I said, this is God's book. So after they got led to the Lord, I would say, are there any questions? And then I would open up the concordance. I said, God's book says this. God's book says this. God has an answer. to That's scary. Here I am out of Bible school. I'm new in the country. And I'm thinking all these new faces, new culture, new way of thinking. Wow, is this really true? Is this my culture? Is this their culture? Yeah. It's got an answer for you in, in your culture. Yeah. And so I was giving them answers and all of a sudden they're getting excited because God's book says this, God's book says this. And so they're all excited. So they don't want to go nowhere. So at six o'clock in the morning, we get up and they're all there's over a hundred of them that have been saved and they're still waiting at the campfire because they want to hear from God's book. Wow. So I go out with a concordance and I teach till noon. So they break away. They serve me a little of their food. 
They bring me back. I teach from two to five. They take me over. By that time, people are walking through the village. It's daytime. So five or six people are walking. They hear me, so they sit down. Well, as soon as I see them sit down, I say, you know, I want to stop for a minute. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and those people got saved, and those people got saved. So after about three days, we had over 300 people that had called on Jesus Christ that were still at that campfire. The only time they would get up and go somewhere was to go to the bathroom to relieve themselves. And then they'd come back. They didn't eat anything. So for three days and three nights, those people had nothing to eat, but they're feeding me what little they had. Wow. So after three days and three nights of this, brother, I mean, I, I said, we got to feed these people, Goodwin. I said, they're going to starve to death. They said, no, you don't understand. They, they, they want to hear from God's book. And I said, is there a town close by? He said, let me go find out. So there's a town like 43 miles away called Zambezia. It's a little train station. But they have corn there. They have cornmeal there. That's what they told me. And a grinding mill. And I said, okay. I said, uh, so I looked at Jim because I'd been doing all the teaching. Jim was a builder. I said, Jim, can you just do what I did? I'm going to take off, take one of the guys, lead me to town. I'm going to buy a bunch of food, bring it back so we feed everybody. I said, okay. So Jim stayed. I went into town. So as I'm in town, you know, some I noticed a couple people were like, it's not a little town. It's like a little train station, maybe hmm. five, six buildings, not much. So I'm passing out tracks. We're having some corn. We bought some corn. We're having it ground at the mill. And then we're putting it in the truck, and we're driving back. So the next morning, you know, 5.30 in the morning, knock at the hut, you know, right before the sun came up, and I'm thinking, what's a good one? So I open the door, and this man just comes in this hut with a blue suit, three-piece suit on, sweating, had a beard down to here. He's a black Zambian man, but he spoke perfect English. Hmm. He says, are you the missionaries? I said, yes. He said, tell me about Jesus. Wow. I said, what? I said, who are you? He said, I was, in, I was in town yesterday. I am an official from the government. I have been stationed at this train station there for the last two or three years, and we don't have vehicles coming through. And so when I saw your vehicle, I started running after you, but you didn't, you didn't stop. You kept going. And I said, well, I'm sorry I didn't see you. He said, so he walked. He followed my tire tracks in the dirt until the sun went down. Then he borrowed a bicycle from a village, and he bicycled 43 miles all night long. Oh, my word. To get to that hut to ask me to tell him about Jesus. So Brother Jim was up. I said, Jim, tell him about Jesus. <laughs> you know, because I had been doing everything. So Jim led the guy to Christ. So the guy, man, he got gloriously saved, Brother Day. I mean, tears, snot. Oh, thank you, Jesus, man. He just went on and on about his prayer. And then he said, now that I'm saved, what do I do now? Mm. And I said, well, you need to get scripturally baptized. He goes, what's that? So I explained baptism. He said, well, baptize me right now. So Goodwin, at that time, had come in the little hut. And I said, Goodwin, where can we baptize? He said, the Capombo River is a couple of miles. I said, let's go. And Goodwin grabbed my arm. He goes, lots of crocodiles. I said, well, I said, that ain't good. And I said, go ask your dad if he knows another place. So he goes, he comes back. He says, we have a little mud leech pit over here that's real close, but it's no crocs, it's just leeches. And so I said, we'll take the leeches. So, <laughs> so we went over to the leech pit, and Jim looked at me, and he goes, Bobby, you're, you're, you're baptizing, right? I said, no, Jim, you are. You led him to Christ. It's your responsibility. <laughs> Jim had never done a baptism before. So he got in there and baptized him in the leech pit. It was pretty funny. So we got the leeches off their leg. And 
he's dressing and everything. And and then that's actually when I found out where he was from because I, he said, what do I do now? What do I do now? Mm. Now that I'm saved, now that I'm baptized, what I said, you need to tell other people about Jesus. I said, you need to go home and tell your people about Jesus. I said, where do you live? That's when, that's when I found out. He said, I live in Zambezi, 43 miles away. Mm. He said, I got a wife, I got kids back there. Make a long story short, he rode his bicycle back, led his wife to Christ, led his kids to Christ, and then we ended up going back into town. We baptized all of them in the Zambezi River, you know, mm. that runs by there. And we were able to start a church out of that train office there called uh, Mumbezi Bible Baptist Church. Wow. That was my first experience. Wow. So you can imagine after that, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to go more of that, more of that. Yeah, one one thing I've heard you say before is um, you got to Zambia and people would ask you, "Who are you?" Yeah. And you'd say, "I'm I'm Bobby Bonner." And you say, "Well, what what what'd you do?" And you'd say, "I play baseball," and they'd say, "What's that?" And you talk about it like it's this gift that God gave you where he took this identity that you had lived for your whole life. I want to be a baseball player. I want to be a baseball player and gave you a greater purpose, a greater identity, a greater work. I just want to be a servant of Christ, a missionary. Can you talk a little bit about that? Talk about, talk about how God gave you just this fulfillment, not in being a baseball player, which is what you kind of thought it was always going to be, but fulfillment in serving him. When when I got saved, like I said, I've never got over being saved. I've never got over the day that God saved me. I've just never got over the guilt that was gone, the peace that flooded my soul. And I go back to 2 Corinthians 5 where it talks about the love of Christ constraining us. Hmm. When we realize what He did for us on that cross, when we realize, really, He took my sins, He took my... He paid my price. Hmm. You know, I don't have to go to hell because of what He did. His sacrifice for me motivates me. That's hmm. it. That's it. I talk to missionaries sometimes and they say, well, I got a burden for these people. I got a burden for these people. And I said, that's wonderful. I said, but that's not going to keep you on the field. Hmm. I said, Paul had a burden for Israel, but God didn't send him to Israel. Yeah. So a burden doesn't constitute a call. You say, well, do you have a burden for Zambia? Yeah, now I do. Yeah. Because I sat where they sat. I ate where they ate. I buried their dead. I married their children. You know, I mean, I, I got to know them. Mm -hmm. A burden comes over time. Like Paul was a Jew over time. Those burdens come. And so uh, a lot of times we have burdens for our family, right? Because we have family members and we want them to be saved and we got a burden. But why don't we have a burden for our neighbor? Hmm. or whatever you know we don't have that burden but that doesn't mean we don't go witness to them right and then all of a sudden they get saved now all of a sudden now you got a burden to try to disciple them and train them you know yeah. because you're getting to know them you know and that's one of the things that when a village would get saved i couldn't just pat them on the back and say i'll see you in heaven i got a responsibility mm -hmm. to train them you know, as it says in Second Timothy 2, look to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Hmm. So I would take these faithful men that would come to these studies and then I would bring them to my house once a week and train them for 40 hours and hmm. then send them back to their people. And so that's, and tell them to teach the same thing I taught. 
And then that's what, that's how we started that whole thing. Wow, that's awesome. One thing in your book, you, you write about the importance of culture. Oof. And by culture, you, you're meaning like customs, arts, institutions. And, you know, there's lots of schools of thought about how a missionary going to a foreign culture or even Christians in this culture, how, how they should approach it. Talk a little bit about what the Lord has taught you about the importance of, of balancing cultural normities, but also, you know, the biblical culture that as Christians we're supposed to live out and how you've tried to walk in that balance between recognizing the importance of culture in people's lives, but also emphasizing biblical truth. Um, again, I was so green. So this is on the job training. Okay. I'm just trying to listen to the spirit of God. I'm just trying to understand what the spirit is trying to teach me as I'm there in the country. And uh, of course our country has 72 different dialects. So I was told by so many mission boards, learn the language, learn the language, learn the language, but there was no <laughs> learn the culture, learn the culture, learn the culture, all learn the language, learn. The well, guess what? I can speak your language, but not understand your culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, culture, everybody, all of us have one. Our, mm-hmm. And culture is learned. Yeah. Okay, just like the language is learned. you got to learn culture. And so certain things offend them. Hmm. Certain things they say may offend you. But you can't allow that to happen as a, as a believer. You know, Paul talks about that. You know, you don't want to offend the brethren. Mm-hmm. You know, a weak brethren. You know, you want to cause them to sin. So you've got to be very, very sensitive to... Um, like for example, in, in Africa, you learn that when you give someone something or you receive something, you receive it with two hands. You know, you don't receive it with one hand. Like if I held one hand just out, it means I'm not appreciative of what you're giving me. Mm. But if I hold my wrist and take it this way, or I take it with two hands, I'm very happy inside. So it's a, it's a sign of, I'm receiving it in a good way. Mm. So if I just grab it like that, they, they get offended. Mm. And so I think that little things like that, and that's learned. Culture's learned. So you learn those things. I remember the first time I met the senior chief when he walked out and four or five Zambians I was with, they all fell on their knees. And I don't know why I had two Mazungus with me. I had two other missionaries with me and, I don't know why I did this. It wasn't nothing to be humble or, you know, I don't know why, but when I saw the African do it, I fell on my knees and I bowed my head and I clapped, you know, that's respect to the chief. Well, when I did that, he walked right over to me and he said, missionary, please get up. I said, you're my chief. Mm. I've said, I'm showing you respect. So I got up and we talked and he said, he had never had a white man bow to him before. Show respect. So because of that, he invited me to his palace and so his royal establishment. So I asked the local people, what do you do when you go see the chief? Well, you must bring him a gift of some kind. So I bought him a big bag of salt, a big bag of flour, you know, and it was a gift. And, uh, you know, and so I didn't want to bring him money or anything like that. So I brought some food so he could feed his village. And uh, so he was unbelievable, shocked that I did that, that I realized it was part of the culture and Mm. You know, uh, talking with him. He was very educated, 72-year-old man, spoke perfect English. And uh, 
Then all of a sudden, I invited him to our house, and he came with his entourage of 40-something people, and and uh, my wife and family all dressed up in Zambian attire and bowed to him and invited him in. We had a great time, and then he ended up sneaking into one of my services in the bush, and he got gloriously wow. saved. I led him to Christ, yeah. and then I uh, got a chance to baptize him. And so when he died, he put it in his will that I would preach his funeral. So his mm. funeral was a state funeral. So the president of the country was there. The members of parliament were there. There was thousands of people there. The one television station aired the whole funeral. Uh, so I gave the gospel to the entire country of Zambia. Wow. Because of bowing to culture. Because, yeah. you know, we, uh, it was weird. We had a, there was some rumors going around that, Zambia was going to tax all the foreign missionaries mm. heavily. And so I went to a meeting, big meeting. There was about 100 missionaries there from different denominations, but they came in and the uh, MP, member of parliament came and this one guy from America stood up and I'm not going to say his name or his place, but anyway, he was very belligerent, mm. did not greek the member of parliament basically just pointed his finger at him and said if you tax us we're leaving the country and i'm thinking oh no mm. oh no and so basically the member of parliament said bye and then he got up and got in his car and he left and we didn't get a chance to ask any questions because of this one arrogant guy from america mm. And so I asked a friend of mine who was high in the government that I knew to get me an appointment with this minister. So I drove down to his office and I dressed in a tie, you know, because they're all in ties and suits over there. So I dressed up and I went in and, and I greeted him and everything. And, and then I wanted, I said, first of all, I was in that meeting and I said, I want to apologize. I said, I don't agree with that man. I said, he may be from my country, but I don't agree with what he did. I said, mm. that was so wrong. And I apologize. And so, but I'm just here to know the truth. Can you please just, you know, he says, if you pay taxes in America, you don't have to pay taxes here. Mm. And I said, thank you very much. Wow. And that guy ended up leaving the country and going back and blasting Zambia over something they didn't even do. Right. Because yeah. of his arrogancy, because yeah. he would not submit to the culture of the day. And the culture just be humble. Mm hmm. Be humble. Yeah. God resists the proud. Yeah. And that's what I love about that country. The people have already been blessed so much just because of their humility. They're very humble people. You, when you talk about culture, the, the verse that comes to my mind is where Paul says, I became all things to all men, right? So to the Jew, a Jew. To the Gentile, Gentile. Barbarian, barbarian. And so understanding the balance of saying, we are in a culture and there are certain norms that a culture has. And as Christians, it's important for us to understand them. But there's also an element of Christianity that says some of those culture, cultural norms need to change. Absolutely. And they're wrong and they're sinful. And I think that's one of the amazing things about your testimony is that here on one hand, you're saying, humble yourself, learn the culture. Learn what what they see as honorable, respectful, you know, these sorts of things. But don't compromise the word of God. Hallelujah. And you've seen which doctors converted. Yes. You've seen 
you talk often when you're telling a salvation testimony. They threw their charms into the fire. Yes. Um, which is a cultural thing, right? Yes. And they're, you're, so you're not saying surrender to the culture. No. You're saying understand the culture so you can have avenues for the gospel. Talk about that a little bit. Well, you know, one of the things, the first thing I did was try to establish them with having a final authority in their life. America is not the final authority. Everybody looks at America for answers. We are in a dreadful state today. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, when the uh, wicked are in rule, the people mourn. Yeah. We are mourning. Yeah. There are things that our government is doing and pushing and they're having their agenda with the press that goes totally against the Word of God and it's making Christians in this country. It's tough. Yeah. It makes them stand. And if they stand, they get attacked. You know, whether it's verbally or whatever the case may be. And so, you know, when you, when I went over there, I got, the, you know, if it goes against the Bible, it goes against culture. I mean, if culture is against the Bible, the Bible is still true. Right. Like witchcraft. Yeah. Okay. And so when I saw their fear of the witch doctor and their, they seemed to reverence him more than they did God just because of the years and years of culture, it was hard for them to get rid of that fear because mm -hmm. they've seen so much wickedness and they, and they really haven't seen God move in their life, but they've seen the wickedness. Right. But I still had to preach against it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I remember a woman came up to me, one of, one of our deacons got really sick and, uh, in the, in the of Bible Baptist church. And so, uh, he got real sick. So I went to visit him in his village. And uh, the grandmother, of course, the matriarch of the village, she was not saved. And she was bringing in a witch doctor to try to heal her sick grandson, mm. a deacon. Well, he ended up dying. Mm. And uh, so when I came to the village, just before he died, I had a confrontation with the grandmother. And she says, you're an American. You're an Amazungu. This is our culture. I said, no, you don't understand. I said, we have witches in America. Mm. We have the church of Satan in America. Mm -hmm. The Bible says to forsake all that. I said, I'm not giving you American culture. I'm giving you Bible culture. Yeah. We want this Bible to be our culture. I didn't come here to make an American out of you. Mm -hmm. I came here to give you Jesus and make a Christian out of you, to train you in what God says is right and what is wrong. And witchcraft, according to God's word, is wrong. Mm -hmm. and, and then after he died, she, uh, we talked again. And she said, well, I'm not going to change my culture. And I, I said, do you realize that you were responsible for your grandson's death? Mm. I said, you're the one that brought death into this village by trusting the witch doctor more than... I mean, so there are times you have to stand up. Yeah. And, and I mean for truth. But, you know, like what you eat. Yeah. How you shake hands. How you greet. Yeah. How you do the marriage ceremony or how you do a funeral ceremony. A little bit different than America. Uh, how we sing. How we praise. Yeah. I mean, some of our people that come from America, they're kind of kind of formal. 
Yeah. Well, our people, they move, baby. Okay. <laughs> and so, you know, they, they move, they got their hands in the air, they're, they're moving and, and it all means something, you know, yeah. the, the movements they, they have. And, uh, I think it's just beautiful. I, I have no problem with it, you know, yeah. and some people do. And, uh, that's okay. I, again, we all have our preferences. Me, sure. I, I love Southern gospel music. That's my, that's yeah. my favorite. Okay. Becky, uh, my wife, she likes a little bit, you know, more a little bit more progressive than yeah. I do. It's like we tease each other. We're Donnie and Marie Osmond, you know. <laughs> I'm a little bit country. She's a little bit rock and roll. You know? <laughs> but I'm, you know, but that's their preference, you know. Because sure. I asked somebody sometime because they said they, they actually they asked me. They said, Bobby, what what's the greatest song that's mm. ever been written? You know, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking and you think it's Amazing Grace, or you think it's Hold the Fort, or you think it's this, Blessed Assurance. And I said, no, I know the greatest song ever written. You do? I said, yeah, it's the Song of Solomon. He says, it's the Song of Songs. <laughs> mm-hmm. I said, you ever read the Song of Solomon? Mm-hmm. It's a love song. You know why? Because God is love. Yeah. And so, again, we don't understand that. Sometimes we're caught up in our traditions and right. our culture that limit us and to really, you know, knowing God. God is not in a box. Right. He's, he's working. A few years ago, my pastor was asked to go to Nepal hmm. to visit some of the underground churches in Kathmandu, Sri Lanka, and India. And he was so busy, and he was on the phone. And he had a, I was in his office. He had on loudspeakers. I could hear the guy inviting him. And so pastor said, no, I can't go. And so I raised my hand real quick and said, can I go? <laughs> and so my pastor said, sure. So I went to Nepal, India, and Sri Lanka a few years ago, and mm. I got a chance to be in, in, in a room this size with over 100 people in it, brother, mm. sitting on the floor, praising Jesus for hours and just listening to the Word of God being read. And the testimonies being beaten going to prison, losing their families, thrown in the streets, and having a smile on their face and talking about the glory of Jesus. Yeah. It was an awesome experience. I thank God for that. Yeah. I can see that. Because we hear about things like that, but Mm -hmm. to see it. When you mentioned uh, in church the other day that, you know, they, they named the different, like, villages or towns or languages... And then they'd get up and they'd run around. I saw Evan make a note of that. I think he wants to try that at our church. So he'll trying to get everybody from Alabama to dance around whenever their state is called. <laughs> I, I wish I knew the words in the vernacular, but I don't. But I can get them for you. Yeah. S- <laughs> send, them send them back yeah, over. Send them over to Evan you know, for sure. Send it over, yeah. Because it's a story of... Uh, uh, it's What's amazing to me is their their ability... To memorize scripture. I mean, kids that can't even read, they hadn't gone to school yet, but the Sunday school teacher has orated like a whole chapter. Mm. And then they put it to music. They put it in a melody. And the kids will sing the entire chapter wow. by memory into a melody that they made up. And then every church is given that chapter. So then we have what we call a Sunday school conference mm. and they come for competition. So the kids are doing their marching and doing their singing and everyone's looking about their synchronization and how they, you know, 
all that stuff. And so they're graded and uh, we have a great time. That's incredible. Yeah. So just maybe in closing, if, if you were going to encourage Christians in America um, to have an understanding of not specifically Africa, but an understanding of the word, worship, walk, and work. What would what would be the way that you would just say these are the these are the steps? Here are some things I want you to remember. Here's a way in which you go after Jesus. Maybe just leave us with a challenge in that way. I think that we need to be able to listen to what God is saying. I have two prayers written in my Bible for me personally. And I don't say this a lot. But one is based out of Revelation when God is writing to the churches. And He said, He that hath the ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Mm. I want to hear from the Spirit of God. Yeah. And the only way I'm going to hear from the Spirit of God is to hear the revelation of God, which is His Word. Mm-hmm. So I need to have ears to hear when I read the Word of God. I'm not, not reading for distance. I'm reading for depth. Mm, that's okay? good. Yeah. And so the second thing is, is my prayer is I want to see God face to face. As it says in Psalms, Thy face, O Lord, will I seek. See, I'm afraid the church today does not know how to pray. Mm. God already knows what we have need of before we ask. Mm -hmm. We need. Why don't we seek His person? Why don't we seek His face? Why don't we seek a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's so important. Because most churches, if you have ever gone to a prayer meeting, it's we seek the hands of Jesus. Mm. What can He provide for us? Well, He's provided everything. Mm-hmm. I just got to go back to the Word. I've got to worship. I've got to walk. And then God will give me what I need for His work because it's all about Him. Mm. So in the meantime, all glory goes to God. We have a saying in Zambia, Balesa Bachindique, which means to God be the glory. Mm. So I want to seek his face. I want to hear his, I want to hear from him. It's amazing. Well, Bobby, thanks for being with us. Amen. Evan, you're gonna close us out here. I didn't think we were supposed to be here for this month. <laughs> we didn't get to ask our questions. I thought we were just audience. <laughs> Oh, man. You got any questions, brother? One thing I was going to ask you is uh, me and Pastor have had this discussion when he got back from the Philippines. Um, I think a lot of times when American Christians hear stories of the mission field, like what you've told today, we can be tempted to think like the American church is nowhere close to what we don't see God do what he's doing in other places, or we don't really understand Christianity because it's not as hard to be a Christian culturally here. And we're tempted to feel like the American church is, I don't know if less than is the right, but there's something we're not doing right. Cause we don't see God move. What would you say just in a current, cause I, you believe in the American church. Now you're oh, here oh, yeah. and the, you know, we didn't get to talk about it today, but the work that you do, 
uh, with your church there in Missouri through sports programs and discipleship and all kinds of things. You know that God is working and moving in America through your life and others just like you saw him move in Zambia. So what would you say to the American church who could be tempted to think, well, we don't see the things that you just talked about in Africa and God doesn't seem to do those things here. What would your response be and some encouragement in that way? My, my response is, is very, what God has shown me that was shown to many, many other people. I'm not the first one, but it's basically the sin of prayerlessness. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is this, you know, the first Corinthians six says we are the temple of God. God lives in the believer. When Jesus went into the temple and he saw everyone selling and the money changers, he made a whip and he chased everything out of the temple because he said, my house should be called a house of prayer. Mm. We are the temple of God. And I think the main problem, even in Africa, our churches are filled with people that have brought so many items in that it needs to be cleansed and we need to be a temple of prayer. Hmm. And I don't think that the people, I mean, the disciples asked Jesus, they didn't ask him, Lord, how do you, how do you heal? How do you preach? How do you, Lord, teach us to pray. Hmm. And I, and prayer is not easy. And so I, I think the biggest problem in America and whatever is just the, I mean, look at Acts, you know, where it says we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the word. That's to the leaders. Mm -hmm. But we become so busy doing so many things and we're always in the word. Hmm. But are we going to take time to pray and seek God's face? I know that I know that you are, you know, you're you're a believer in the local church. Oh, it yes. Do, doesn't matter if it's. America, Zambia, who can, you know, it's the Lord's church. Amen. But I, I also think, which is along the line that Evan brought up in the question, Dick, just the American church has such an opportunity to do so much good. The resources they have, um, the information, the knowledge that God has blessed the American church in extraordinary ways. When you when you even think about just how young America and the American church is, so you know you almost look at America like so much potential to to impact the world, and as far as a work in missions, they uh, the American church can do so much. Amen. Talk about maybe some of that, like just the the potential you see from from Christians being able to impact the the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that's it. It's the local churches. It's the local churches that we partner with that, you know, what did um, Paul say in the book? I think it's Philippians chapter four. He said, you sent once again <laughs> to my necessity, not because I desire a gift, mm -hmm. but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Mm -hmm. You know, when we pray or we support a missionary or a mission situation and they're leading people to Christ, if I'm supporting them, I got a part in that. Yeah. That's an eternal reward one day. 
that's why I, I love some of the contemporary musics like, you know, uh, you know, I'm in heaven and somebody's standing before me and yeah. you don't know me, but I'm here because you gave money to a missionary, yeah. you know, and yeah. that type of thing, you know, and I'm going, so man, when I, when I give and I understand that I'm just, you know, God may give through me what he will never give to me. I'm a conduit. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just, whatever God, I just, let me just pass it on. And the churches, again, uh, I think that's the big battle in America. See, the devil hates the church and he's fighting against it. Mm -hmm. And we have this old flesh that we fight against all the time. And so does every other believer. You know, we haven't reached that final stage of sanctification yet. Mm -hmm. or the absence of sin. Oh man, one day, you know, but... Um, I thank God for the local churches. I thank God for those, the widow mites mm -hmm. that come up and they're sacrificing and they give what they can yeah. to the Lord. That's everything they have. And it's amazing to see how God can take what's little and make it just like the loaves and the fishes. Mm. And God can do that. And you're out there maybe saying, well, I can't do anything. Yeah, you can. Hmm. You can make a difference yeah. in somebody's life. And so uh, there's um, organizations, especially in the local church, help your local church, give to your local church, support your local church, and hopefully they're involved in missions because mm -hmm. we're commanded to go into all the world. Well, right. I can't go, but I can send. Right. And yeah. I can help yeah. because it's God gets the glory and we're all in this together. Yeah. I don't know a better way to maximize your mission dollars. Yes than finding local churches, local pastors in these like areas like Zambia, the Philippines, Asia, you know, where, wherever it is, wherever it is. and investing in them. You know, when you think like it's whatever, $35 a month and that's life changing in Zambia or parts of Asia and in America, you know, you, you don't, you just like, okay, well that's, we don't even think about it. And when I think about the way that America can impact the world. Like those are the ways in which I think like if we could see that, how God has enriched us. I think about that church at Corinth. Yeah. You know, Paul says, God has enriched you in so many things. And yet, you know, you're you're spending it for yourself instead of for for like what you're saying, the conduit through. Absolutely. Instead of recognizing that there's a greater way in which to live. And, and give in this life. Um, and that's to me, like, that's the challenge. You know, pastor in a church here in California, America, that's the challenge. Is saying, how can we equip and train and educate? You know, one of your things about I Am Ministries is aware. Like, just make people aware of the need. And if they can be made aware, then the Spirit of God can move the heart, you know. Amen. Anything else, Evan? No, sir. I thought uh, we should go out. We normally go out on a quote. So uh, I thought a David Livingstone quote would be appropriate. Appro appropriate today. For sure. Give us your favorite. Give us, you give us yeah, give it My to us. My favorite one is God only had one son and he made him a missionary. Mm -hmm. I like it. I love it. What do you got? You got one? Yeah, if... Uh, 
David Livingston wrote, If a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? Yeah, right. I don't know if you know this too, David Livingston had three prayers that he wrote in his diary. Hmm. He wrote, he would write all the time. And he's, the first one was, Lord, send me anywhere, only go with me. Hmm. The second one was, Lord, lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Hmm. And the third one was, Lord, break any tie that binds me, except the tie that binds me to thee. Wow. I love it. Well, thanks for listening in today, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one.